uh, be here today, to be back from my trip, and I have a few announcements before we preach the word from Genesis, the 24th chapter. Um, first of all, you'll see posters up around the church that say there's a concert coming uh, September 6th. Dennis Jernigan will be with us, and uh, you will not want to miss that concert on a Saturday night. Doors will open at 6, concerts at 7, it's free. He'll also be uh, in the Sunday morning services September the 7th, providing music and the preaching that day. And uh, you'll not want to miss the ministry of Dennis Jernigan. Um, we also have a welcome class for those of you who are new, and several of you are, are new. And uh, we want you to know that that welcome class happens about every other month. It's going to be on September the 9th on a Tuesday evening at 6.30. And I believe there's a place to sign up for that if you would like to know more about who we are, what we believe, where we're heading, those kinds of things. We'd love to be able to share that with you. Life groups are beginning in just a few weeks. Uh, we, we hope that each and every one of you will seriously consider being a part of a life group, uh, which meet in homes during the week. And uh, I know there's probably one that meets uh, your maybe age group or maybe the night that you're available to be in one, so uh, be looking towards that. I have been gone over the last few weeks, and it's uh, so good to be home. I uh, spent a few weeks overseas in Moldova. Uh, and I went with two of the greatest teenagers in all of the world, Katie and Laren Abels. Well, they're not in this service. I shouldn't have even said that, probably. But uh, no, it was so much fun. We had a great time together. We flew in and out of Houston to reduce the cost of the ticket. And so a couple of Tuesdays ago, we got up early. We left town. Uh, we got to Houston be, uh, about 9 to 9.30 for our 11.30 flight. And we were just so excited. 11.30 came. They called our flight number. We boarded the plane. I got my... Uh, Noise-canceling headphones. Do you have those? Those are the greatest thing on an airplane. Put those on, listen to music. Babies can be screaming. You never hear them. It's just absolutely wonderful. And teenagers you're traveling with, you don't hear them either. But uh, <laughs> we just, uh, we're all excited. And we pulled away from the gate. We taxied out to the runway. And we're waiting in line to take off. And we're waiting in line to take off. And all of a sudden, Laren taps me on the shoulder. He says, you probably need to take those off. They're making announcements over the intercom here. <laughs> and so they are making announcements that we're having problems with the plane. You ever been on one of those? We're having problems with the plane. And then after a little bit more time, they say, uh, we're going to return to the gate and see if we can fix the problem with the plane. You know, I don't know about you, but when they say we have a problem with the plane, I'd like to get on a different plane. But we get back to the gate, and they say, if you have connections through uh, Dulles, uh, which was where we were heading, it says you might want to consider getting off and seeing one of our customer service agents uh, to rebook, because it looks like uh, you're not going to make your connection. So we got off the plane as we were connecting through Dulles, and uh, we got in this customer service line, and it was long, and it wasn't moving. And we stood there, and we stood there, and we stood there, and I finally got the idea, hey, I have a cell phone. So I called 1-800-UNITED. And online, over the phone, I was able to rebook our three tickets. And I pulled those two kids out of line. I went over to the kiosk and printed our boarding passes, and we were ready to go. And at 4.30 that afternoon, we left Houston. But you know, we only arrived at our destination about three hours late. And I, th I got to thinking, you know, why, does, why do certain things happen? What possible purpose could God have for something like this? And uh, so I began to think about, okay, what are some of the purposes that this might have uh, been in God's mind to, to have this flight canceled and to move us on to this other flight? And uh, I got to thinking, you know, 
one of the words that we use in mission trips a lot, the number one word we say, and I ask the kids over and over, I says, what's the number one word we use on mission trips? And that's flexibility. <laughs> and so I said, maybe God was just building in some flexibility to us right off the bat. Another thing is that maybe God just wanted to bless us. Because we got off of a jam-packed flight, and we got on this flight to London that was half empty. <laughs> you ever been on a transcontinental flight that's half empty? It is the best thing. <laughs> <laughs> you just can lay down, and you can stretch out. You know, another thing that might have been in God's heart was that when I was able to get the, uh, the, the, the tickets rebooked, and we got on this better flight, and... Maybe it was in God's mind to show those kids what a hero I could be to them. <laughs> you know? All those people standing in that customer service line said, come on, kids, let's get out. We got it covered. You know, I, I, I don't know why certain things happen in life. They, they happen and, and courses change all the time, don't they? I mean, you have your plans, right? We have our plans, and sometimes stuff happens and we just get diverted or, or whatever. You know, Cindy and I, as we were building our family, we got married and we wanted to have kids and we just, we just wanted a normal life and that was our plan. But God's plan was something different. He says, I want you to adopt kids. And, and so we adopted two kids. I entered college. I loved music. I went into music. I got a degree in music. I taught music for a couple of years and then I got another degree in music. Uh, that was my plan. I wanted to be as good as I possibly could be. And then God said, I'm glad you have two degrees in music. Now I want you to preach. What? So my question to you is, God ever changed your plans? What's even more difficult for us sometimes is that God, God's plan sometimes involves problems. Did you hear that? Sometimes God's plan involves pain, problems. And, and, and we, we may be finding ourselves today in the middle, middle of a difficult situation. And we, as in our modern American kind of thinking, we automatically conclude that this can't be God's plan because God's plan never has problems. I would suggest read the word. Could trouble at work actually be part of God's plan? I think about the parent praying for their prodigal child and thinking that God can't be for this. When in reality, God is, is allowing things into your child's life that, that yeah, are painful. But it's, it's the path, it's, it's his path to see how, so they can see how amazing his grace really is. That they can find how much he really loves them in spite of their sinfulness, in spite of their waywardness. He loves them. I see so many times parents, I've been guilty of this, try to prevent pain in their kids' lives. They do everything we can to prevent pain. And yet so many times it's that pain that drives our kids back to him. And so here's the point today. God always has a plan. And it's always better than our plan. Let me ask you that. Do you believe that today? Number one, that God always has a plan. And it's always better 
than our plan. Over the last several weeks, we've been looking at the life of Abraham, his relationship to God, this friendship that he has with God, and it's really been about this glorious plan of God to bring a mighty nation out of Abraham's lineage and that would ultimately bring the Messiah, the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. If you read the whole story as we've gone through it, it's kind of a strange plan, to be honest. It's a strange plan that God reveals to Abraham, and he starts this plan when Abraham is 75 years old. And then Abraham and Sarah wait 25 more years for the birth of Isaac. And when we pick up the story today, in Genesis 24, Isaac is now 40 years old. So do the math. How old is Abraham? 140 years old. And it's time for Isaac to have a wife. Here's how it happens. Look at Genesis 24. I don't know. This first phrase just cracks me up. Now Abraham was old. What was he at 75? (laughs) But for those of you who are in this age group here, I want you to know that the Scripture says you are not old until you are 140 years old. Amen. 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 (laughs) I knew I'd have at least one. He says, now Abraham was old, advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in every way. Well, I wish that could be said of us, couldn't, don't you? The Lord has just blessed us in every way. Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all he owned, Please place your hand under my thigh, and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I live. They live in Canaan right now, but they're from another place. But you will go back home. You'll go back to my country and to my relatives and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Suppose the woman is not willing to follow me to this land. Should I take your son back to the land from where you came? Oh, Abraham said to him, Beware that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my birth, and who spoke to me and who swore to me, saying, To your descendants I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you will take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you'll be free from this oath and from this my oath. Only do not take my son back there. In other words, he may like it and he want to stay, but God has given us this land. And so the servant placed his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning his, this matter. It's kind of like raising your right hand in our culture today. And then the servant took ten camels from the camels of his master and set out with a variety of good things of his master's In his hand, and he rose and went to Mesopotamia, the city of Nahor. He made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at evening time, the time when women go out to draw water. Now he prays. What look at this in verse twelve. He says this O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show loving kindness to my master Abraham. Uh, Lord, behold, I'm standing by the spring, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now may it be that the girl to whom I say, please let down your jar so that I may drink, and who answers, drink, and I will water your camels also. May she be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac, and by this I will know that you have shown loving kindness to my master. And as God sometimes works, he says, before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah. 
who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor, came out with her jar on her shoulder. The girl was very beautiful, a virgin. No man had had relations with her. And she went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please let me drink a little water from your jar. I imagine he's thinking, I hope this is the one. (laughs) And she said, Drink, my Lord. And she quickly lowered her jar to her hand and gave him a drink. And now when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, and these are the words, I will draw also for your camels until they finish drinking. And so she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran back to the well to draw, and she drew for all his camels. And if you read the rest of the chapter, which is 60-some verses long, you'll see that Rebekah does go with Abraham's servant, does become Isaac's wife, all according to God's great master plan. You know, as you look at this scene, there's a lot of great life lessons that we can learn from this story when it comes to how do we live within and cooperate with the plan of God. The first thing that we notice is that the servant is, is, is not going to go to the well and just look over the crop of young women and say, I think she would make a good wife for Isaac. And begin to pick and choose according to his opinion. No, he knows that God has a plan. In fact, this servant only has one aim, and that's to find out who is the special girl that God has designed for Isaac's wife. We find in verse 12, even prays that God would grant him success in this venture. I want to be able to succeed in finding your will for Isaac. He's submitted to the plan of God, and he knows that it is God who must orchestrate this whole thing. And we see that this servant lays out this scenario for God, which I think was led by God also. He said that The girl that comes out and uh, gives me a drink and waters my camels, if there's one like that, I will know that she is your choice. He was requesting a sign of confirmation. Have you ever done that from God? I I think this is the way I ought to walk, but I just really want a confirmation. I either want you to speak to me through the word. I either want you to speak to me through a conversation that was unexpected. I want something unexpected to happen that I will know beyond the shadow of a doubt that this is you confirming what I believe in my heart to be. So have you ever asked God for a sign? Now, it may be a bit of a stretch to be so specific as this servant. Unless God leads you. (laughs) But I think asking God for some kind of confirmation is always appropriate. I will say this. Before we do, though, we must be willing to receive His answer. Right? We must be willing to walk in His way. No matter how we feel about it, no matter how it disrupts life or how it changes the course... uh, Whatever you want, I'll walk in it. I remember a time when Cindy and I were making one of those life choices, and we'd, off, we'd been offered a church to pastor in the state of Alabama, and we'd felt it in our hearts that God wanted us to stay in Georgetown. We just had one problem. We had no job in Georgetown. The church in Alabama was a beautiful church. It was a nice church. There were great people. We'd been out there to interview, and they treated us so well, and... Uh, And yet there was this tug in our heart that we should 
stay in this vicinity and stay here. It was an agonizing decision process. Uh, you know, you, you talk to people and they, they say, okay, it doesn't sound like there's a whole lot to decide here. <laughs> you have no job here. You have an opportunity to serve the Lord. It's opened. Why are you travailing over this decision? Go. Both Cindy and I felt in our hearts that there was something that was holding us here, and we just wanted confirmation. And we had kind of decided that in spite of what the world said or what seemed to be right, we just had decided that we were just going to stay and see what God had for us in Georgetown. And Cindy tells me the story. She was praying that one morning right in the middle of all of that, and she says, Lord, could you just give us a sign? Any sign would do. (laughs) Any sign that confirms that we should stay here as our heart is telling us to. And she began to list out for God. Have you ever done that? you ever listed out things for God? To help Him? Remember Noah? Remember Gideon? Well, you gave Moses a burning bush. (laughs) Can I just have some little sign? And she leaves and heads out for her morning run. And this is when we lived on the east side of town and uh, next, close to the university. And she was running down University Boulevard. And uh, she was running in front of Southwestern University. And she was approaching what was the Evangelical Free Church at that particular time. And she heard a guy mowing the, gar- the grass there at the EV Free Church. And just as she gets to the church, the mower blade strikes a rock and sends sparks flying out of the side of the mower. And enters into the driest bush in Georgetown. And within a matter of seconds, this bush is aflame. <laughs> and she's startled by it. And she wonders about the guy on the, motor, on, on the lawnmower. Wondering if he's okay. And then she's just kind of frantic. And there's this car that's driving down university. Stops and sees what's going on. This great bush is on fire. And... And he gets out and he, he says, I don't, and I don't know how to say it, but he says, I don't speak English. Here, you call 911. And so there's my wife just running by, seeing a burning bush, and she's the one that has to make the 911 call. And I think about that story often, and I think, isn't God good? Isn't God so faithful? Isn't God so good? And, and we, and you know what we did? We, we called him up and said, we're not coming. <laughs> but I'm here to tell you today that that decision led to the most difficult year in our life. Was that God's plan? Yeah. We were completely changed by that year. And I, I'm here to tell you that if, if you want to walk in the plan of God, you're going to have to have the attitude of submission. And that's one of my points today. The attitude of submission. There's this agreement that I will go, I will do whatever it is that he wants of me, and I will not bring in my agenda and my hopes and try to get God to do what I want him to do, but I am completely available And I'm telling you, if you're driven by money or worldly success or a good place to raise your children... 
You'll miss it. You know, the second thing we see from this servant is that um, he had this attitude of investigation. God didn't just say, okay, servant, you're going to go and you're going to see this person, this, this girl at the well, and when she waters your camels, then that's who it is, and, and you just don't have to worry about it. I've got it all under control. Is that how God works? Does he give you the whole nine yards before you even step out? More often than not. It doesn't work that way. Because God's all about the process. He wants to walk with you through the process as you investigate, as you gather information, as you begin to understand he's walking me this way, not that way. I wonder why I'm not going that way. Well, for some reason he wants me this way, but every day there's a growing dependence upon the revelation of God to show you the way in which he wants you to walk. God is all about process. He builds relationship in the midst of process. And if our attitude is constantly wanting to discover who he is and what his plan is, we can be confident that he'll reveal that. He'll open it up to us. He'll show us. It may not be on our time schedule. Amen. <laughs> but even that's part of the process, isn't it? You ever get impatient with God? Why can't he just hurry up? I mean, I got a decision to make or the money's running out or whatever. Come on, God. And yet the impatience begins to settle and we begin to say, okay, I really am broken over this. I trust you. I just trust you. I believe there's a rest that we can find even in the midst of confusion or, or the midst of unknowing and we don't know what we ought to do. And we can trust him. We can find rest. I meet people all the time that are just so full of worry and despair or anger because they're facing difficult situations and God doesn't seem to be doing what he ought to be doing. And I'll ask him, have you fully investigated the situation? Do you know what all the options are? And a lot of times they'll say, well, not really, and we're still waiting on this or that. Then relax. Keep investigating. I don't have to tell you because we're all in this boat. The mistake we all make from time to time in our lives is that we really think our lives are about us. <laughs> right? In other words, our lives are all about our job, our career, our influence, our families. It's all about us. God, help us with our life. And God's saying, it's all about me. <laughs> And I'm going to use your job and your money and your kids and your... I'm going to use all of that to draw people into me. And so there's always this tug of war, it seems like, in so many people's lives. I want it to be about me. God, help. And he's saying, I want it to be about me. Let go. God knows that you and I will only find our purpose, our calling... When life is all about him, knowing him, loving him and receiving from him and walking with him. The third thing we see in this servant's heart 
in the story is found in verse 26. I haven't read it yet, but Genesis 24, 26. Look what the servant does after Rebekah is revealed and he knows who Isaac's wife is to be. He says this in verse 26. Then the man bowed low and worshipped the Lord. He said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his loving kindness and his truth toward my master. As for me, the Lord has guided me in the way to the house of my master's brothers. He had the attitude of worship. He had laid all of this out to God before. He trusted God with it. God revealed and he worshiped and he was in awe. He bowed his knee before the Father. I'm just so grateful that you have guided me. It had always been in God's hands. And how many times do you and I receive blessing? We receive clarification from God and about this beautiful plan and we get the answer or the job offer comes through or the raise comes through and the budget is paid and and how many times do we say, thank you, God, see ya. Rather than bowing our knee before him and saying, this has all been of you. All been from you. I worship you. I'm overwhelmed by your provision. I'm overwhelmed by your care for me. I say it again, God always has a plan. And it's always better than our plan. Do you believe that today? Well, I mean, think of the ramifications of believing that statement. I mean, how many of us here have our plan? You got your retirement plan, you got your career plan, you got your family plan, you got your plan. I mean, think of the ramifications of believing that statement. He always has a plan, and it's always better. And when you get up in the morning, do you set out to discover God's plan for that day? Do you look for clues that he might lay down before you? As you maybe you read in the Word, or you have conversations with others. Or is your prayer life dominated by getting God to help you with your life? about getting ahead, about getting the job or the promotion or getting everyone around you to act right. <laughs> you can just stop praying that one, I think. You, you can't pursue your plan and God's plan. And, and when bad things happen, what's your reaction? They canceled my flight. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? I got these two teenagers. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Why is this happening to me? I'm so fearful. Why? Or do you just simply ask God to show you, what, what are you doing here, God? What's going to happen here? I know that it says in Romans 8, 28, that God works all things for our good. All things for our good. So some pointed questions. Does God have access to your heart? Could God change your career path right now? Some of you have had your careers and you're done. And you're retired and 
you've entered into retirement saying that I'm so grateful that I've been able to raise my kids and to have a career and now it's my time. Yeah, I... Uh, just try that with God. God, it's been great, but now it's my time. Does God have a plan for the rest of your life no matter how old you are? He was 140. God wants to use you every single day of your life. As long as he gives you breath, he has something that he wants to do in and through your life. Do you desire his plan more than anything else? I guess that's the question. I, I, do you just hunger for the will of God to be done in your life? I have to be honest with you today that preaching was never in my plans. I, I, was, I was always the quiet kid in class. I, I never wanted the spotlight. I was always the one that looked away when the teacher was looking around for somebody to call on. I froze when I had to speak in front of people. My worst grade in college was speech class. But I can tell you now that when I am preaching, there is a bond with Jesus that is unlike any other half hour of my week. I know that he cherishes me. I know that he loves me. I know that I'm walking with him in his plan. And I'm telling you here, there's not a, I, I wouldn't trade it for any amount of money in the world. I wouldn't trade it for any amount of fame. I wouldn't trade it for any amount of success. I wouldn't trade it for anything. The connection of what it means to walk in the plan of God. There's nothing worth it. And I, I think about our, our church here and I think about what if, what if every one of us said goodbye to our plans? And we just said, we'll, we'll do whatever you want us to do, God. Well, as a church, we will. With our money, we will. With our time, we will. With our resources, our families. You just show us how we can support one another. How can we build each other up? How can we walk together and journey together in the plan of God? We'll all seek your heart. We won't live based on anything except your plan. We won't line up the worldly criteria, what seems right worldly speaking, to make decisions. But we just want to discover your will. We want the confirmation of your will. We will pray like never before for the revelation of God's plan. And we're just so anxious to walk in it. I mean, don't, don't you think, don't you think a, that kind of people could have a, a remarkable influence in a community? I do. A remarkable influence. I look around the world. Do you think God has a plan for this world? I, I mean, I just got back from Moldova. You know, it's, it neighbors Ukraine. Everybody's asking me, how was it? Were the Russians there? You know, you, have, you just start thinking. You think, what's going on in the world? Does God have a plan? Are the world leaders really in charge? <laughs> Sometimes I just sit back and I go, God has a plan. 
God knows what he's doing. God wants us in on it. He wants to speak to us. He wants to reveal to us. You may be here today and uh, you know that you're not walking in his plan. You know that your life isn't even walking in him. And you, you really have given your heart and life to your own pursuit. But something inside of you is stirring today. Something inside of you is saying, there's, there's a resonation that I have that I know I want, I want, I want God. I want to be walking with him. I want to know the reality of his purpose in my life. I've just been spinning my wheels chasing after what the world says is important. And I want you to know that the ultimate plan of God through Abraham and through his life was to bring Jesus Christ into this world and die on a cross for you and I so that we may have the life of God living in us. That we may be able to be forgiven of our sin, that we may be able to walk with him in the beauty of his holiness and the beauty of his righteousness and actually embody the righteousness of God. And I'm here to invite you today to come and just say, I, I want God's plan in my life. I, I, I want to quit pursuing my way. He always has a plan. And it's always better than our plan. He can be trusted. Father, I'm just so grateful in so many ways. I'm grateful for this church and the body of believers that you've brought here. And I'm so grateful for the provision of this building and I'm so grateful for so many things that you have brought about. But Lord, at the same time, we hunger. We hunger for the spiritual awakening of the church in Georgetown and Central Texas and all across this land. We, we hunger for this spiritual awakening that will bring about significant conversions to the faith, significant movement of God, restoring our culture. Father God, we know that doesn't happen when our pursuits are, are worldly and our pursuits are learned from our peers and our our culture rather than from you and your word. So today, Lord, we, we come to the end of this message and each of us will need to grapple with this and wrestle with this and say, Lord, I, I want your plan. I, I forsake my own pursuit and you show me. You show me. You reveal to me and I'll hunger and I'll seek for it with all of my life. And Father, I pray for the person who is seeking today spiritually. Maybe the world's just kind of beat them up and maybe they've chased after the world and this kind of left them empty. I pray that they would turn their heart to you today. Say, Lord, I want you. I want the security of your life in me. I want the security of, of my eternal future with you. And so I come broken. I come hungry. I come needy. I come sinful. And I pray that you would just accept me and forgive me. I know that I don't deserve it, but nobody's deserved it. May you come and save me today. Rescue me, Father. I thank you for your provision for 
bringing us to you and for being behind us and going before us and granting us the very presence of God Almighty in us so that we can live without fear, that we can live in rest, that when times are uncertain that we have complete and undying trust that you know what you're doing. For all these things, we give you praise. We give you the glory. We give you the honor. In the name of Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's